Okay. <laughs> oh, I'll use it. Never let it be said. I bring my own percussion. <laughs> okay. 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 Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate with extreme prejudice the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington. And I am Boo Boo the Fool, also known as Adam Evermescu. Oh, what happened to the disco king? <laughs> that was a previous take. I'm just use my, my nicknames. Uh, yes, listeners, I did introduce myself as the Disco King, but uh, we had to abort that take. So now we're back and we are enjoying National Strawberry Parfait Day. Ooh, it loves me some parfait. Is that a reference? Shrek? Haven't seen it. <sighs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was seriously concerned. <laughs> I was that that was just that was just a light troll or maybe a light ogre as it as it may be. Oh god. Um, but we, <laughs> we, we, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're gonna have to cancel this take too. Uh, we have decided on today, National Strawberry Parfait Day, to bring you a sweet treat of our own. An answer to one of, mo- one of the most common questions we see in customer education. Whom should I hire for my customer education team? Ooh, that's a really good question. And it isn't a new question, in fact. You know, we first covered this topic on the show, and if you can believe it, almost three years ago now, it's crazy. But there's been yeah. some new research. Um, our market, of course, you know, in three years' time has changed quite a lot. We've, uh, we've gone through some interesting times to say the least, right? And uh, we're seeing more new customer education teams form than ever before. And the people hiring for those roles are all asking, who should I hire? That's right. And so we have a few things that we can talk about here. First, we need to talk about hiring a customer education leader. So when people ask, who should I hire for customer education? Oftentimes they're speaking as the customer success leader or the uh, you know, the executive who's sponsoring customer education. Uh, and they're asking, who should I hire to do customer education in my company? And we've, we've covered that on the show before in a few mm-hmm. different ways. And we right. won't spend as much time there today. Um, but where we will spend quite a bit of time is talking about how those leaders will hire their team members uh, and how to structure those roles. Right. It, it is definitely really interesting. I mean, you and I are both in the, the throes and the thick of, uh, being hiring managers and, and we're in the trench. And we covered this topic three years ago and we were both in different places then. And we had seen two common patterns. And those, those patterns were either one, a company would hire a customer education team of one, you know, that leader doer, jack of all trades, um, who eventually that person's going to be able to hire more, right? Or alternatively, they would start by promoting some talented team member, likely a, a CSM or a support agent, into that role of what we we put in air quotes is the accidental and customer educator, accidental customer educator. Words are hard, uh, and eventually that you know that promotional route will get to a leadership role, or alternatively, hire a leader over them um, to fill in the blanks. Right. So we still see all these things happening, but the balance has shifted a bit. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, anecdotally, even just from seeing job postings and talking to leaders who are starting customer education teams, mm-hmm. it seems like compared to those those halcyon days, uh, no, they were. I, I think they were worse days because <laughs> <laughs> three years ago, I can't believe, by the way, we're even talking about three years ago. Three years we were ago. almost at, at three years of doing the show. Uh, it, it was a bit more common then, I think to yeah, hire that team of one, and there was no real guarantee that the function was going to grow. They were kind of in a position of, of having to prove their worthiness as, as a player coach. But now I think it's getting a bit more common mm-hmm. uh, to start by hiring an explicit customer education leader who has a mandate to build and grow a team more quickly, uh, you know, earlier in the customer lifecycle. And so that, that team of one where it's ambiguous as to whether the person is leader, practitioner, player, coach, uh, it's still there. But it seems to be giving way to more mandates to actually build and staff a customer education team. Yeah, that's that in and of itself is actually a really exciting development, Adam. It means, like in a way, that customer education teams are being seen as more of this accepted practice in a business, right? That that I, I well, I know that you're probably having the same conversation that I have when we network with people up up the line, down the line, or whatever. You're seeing a lot more folks saying, I need to have a customer education team. It's not really a question anymore. So, you know, if if you're hiring your customer education leader earlier in your company lifecycle, which is great, and then giving them that remit to build and hire a team, it really bodes well for the maturity of customer education at that business. It's going to be a lot more strategic going in. Like, this is really what we could have hoped for, the best possible outcome. You hire a leader, hopefully that leader has some experience and you want to find somebody with, with uh, the kind of chops that you need. Um, and ultimately, rather than coming in just kind of sorting things out in the moment and the fly, just doing the work, now we have the proclivity or the, the ability to start being more strategic and think broadly over your roadmap. Yeah, and, and we're seeing more and more of that as more customer education leaders get their chops, grow up within one program, move to another, start a new one. Uh, it's that's been a really nice thing to see over the past few years. So very, very rewarding, Dave. Yeah, it's super exciting. So okay, so speaking of uh, things that we have done a few years ago, since it's <laughs> just you and me today, why don't we bust out our old hypothesis format for yeah. this episode? How's that sound? I love it. Yeah? Let's do it. All right. I mean, Dave, you used this format recently with Debbie, uh, Debbie Smith, in an episode about certifications, and I got pretty jealous. So uh-huh. I thought. We should probably bring this format back because I want a piece of it. But also, also, there's some data. Uh, uh, we did a LinkedIn poll recently uh, asking what types of episodes our listeners wanted to hear. And this format, the hypothesis format, was uh, the most popular one that came back. So uh, we're going to return to this format more often, I think. We, we listen to our listeners. Yeah. And this is good. You know, just to give you credit and... I like to say there is no reason to be jealous. We just happened to fall into that. And I think we were talking about the hypothesis, so we just did it. Um, but, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's do this hypothesis. So what should that be? You know, last time we covered this topic, we were really kind of niched down and focused on who the customer education leader should be. That's right. And we were asking, if I remember that hypothesis correctly, mm-hmm. whether you should hire a proven customer education leader, someone who's done this exact thing before, or promote that rock star CSM into that accidental customer educator role. And yeah. we weighed some pros and cons there, yeah. Yeah, but you know, as we framed up, framed this up, things have changed in the last few years. 
we've been talking about like the list, how many episodes have we had since we did that? Uh, it's been quite a few. So well, I knew you were going to ask what episode number that was. And <laughs> I can't remember. I want to. I want to say eleven. Let's just it, say it was. It was, it was early. I mean, three years ago. It's hard to believe. But let's go ahead and move our hypothesis forward. Let's let's assume we're talking to that customer education leader. So again, if if you're out there listening to this, you are that leader. Or in our audience, I know we have a lot of companies that are looking to hire that leader. You know, this is relevant here too. Um, you're that person, ideally, just got hired. Put your put yourself mentally into that role. And now we're asking that person, who are you going to hire? And how are you going to structure your team? I mean, this is a big moment. It's actually a pretty exciting moment. I mean, I've been there several times. It's always fun building that team. It is. So here's where I think the debate comes uh, in, as far as this question goes. Yeah. When you're on an early stage team, Whomst do you hire? Some teams hire specialists. Others hire generalists. But if you hire specialists, what should their specialty be? Are they going to be instructional designers? Are they going to be facilitators? Is it even a good idea to hire specialists on an early team? Or should you start with generalists? And if you hire generalists, what competencies do you look for to actually make sure that you're getting the right generalists? Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's the seedlings of a hypothesis in here. Yeah, well, let's take the point of view and see if this pans out. The hypothesis will test today, drumroll please, early customer education teams should hire generalists who handle responsibilities including training, instructional design, and content development. What do you think? <laughs> that was the symbol. I'm going to have to add those in. Do you want here? I'll do one in isolation and we can copy and paste it. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'll use it. Never let it be said. I bring my own percussion. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, we are we are in a mood today. We today. are. So Spicy. we've got we've got a few great sources for this episode, but we would be remiss to start without hearing what our community thinks. So we decided to use that most scientific of methodologies, the LinkedIn poll, for that hashtag engagement. So recently, we, we asked our community to weigh in on who their first customer education hire is. And the options we provided were you could hire a generalist, mm -hmm. like a, a customer education manager role. You can think of that as analogous to like a, a product marketing manager, uh, a trainer, and an instructional designer. And then we had another field. So Dave, what do you think was the most common response? Do you think people hired a generalist, mm. a trainer? or an instructional designer? Uh, I'm going from my personal experience, and, and I, want to, I want to guess generalist. Now, that's what I would have guessed, too. But the results hmm. will surprise you. Would you click on, on that if I, if I gave you that uh, clickbait? Yeah, I would. That's a great header. The results, the results, will, results surprise will surprise you. you. Sounds like a good LinkedIn header. Okay, I'm sorry, listeners. We are in a mood. <laughs> okay, here's... Here's, here's how it broke down. So the generalist role actually only got 34% of the vote, which mm. was actually super surprising. That's super low. Does that surprise actually. you, Dave? Yeah, that's really... It, feel, it does. Really it feels, it feels low. What are they hiring? And we can... <laughs> Let's keep talking over each other. What else? <laughs> Never mind. Keep going. Okay. Um, I expected to see more, too. Uh, and, and I think we can get into this in a moment. I think some of this might have been some ambiguity around what we meant by generalist. 
but I think directionally the results still uh, point how they uh, point in the direction we're about to go in because trainers only got 15% of the vote, mm-hmm. which again suggests to me that at least in our community, it's less common to start customer education programs with instructor-led training than with more scalable approaches. Uh, th- there's an expectation here that if you're doing any of that synchronous training, you're not hiring someone that only is doing that synchronous training. They're going to have to do other stuff as well. Right. Because with a whopping 46% of the vote, we had instructional designer as the most popular first role on the team. Wow, that's a lot. 46, almost 50%. You know, my first reaction to that is, it it seems rational, right? But I also think there's some kind of a cautionary tale in there. Okay, let let me tell my story and see if it resonates with anybody listening. Personally, I tend to hire, okay, and again, framing it up, it's me, right? I'm alone. I need to hire a team. And of course, sometimes you inherit or get a team member to start with, which is cool or can be cool. Uh, but I tend to hire a generalist first, and this is why. Uh, I w- w- because I, I have a lot of unknowns, right? Unless I came in and there's a clear dictate in what needs to be done, which usually isn't the case because as a leader, that's my job to figure out what's our roadmap. Um, and in that context, I go, well, I know I'm going to need to train. I know I'm going to need to prepare content, maybe some light documentation, but definitely video, who do I pick? I like to train. I like to get somebody who is a journalist that can do it all. Um, and why I do that, and this is just me again, I think there's a real proclivity or potential for problems if you have that first hire be a poor fit, right? Let, let's talk about this just briefly. I know we have a bunch of talking points here, but to me, from experience, I've seen that traditional or non software as a service, like this is our industry specifically, not if we broaden it out more, sometimes have a real challenge in this environment. And I've seen some struggle where the speed is just, can be just ridiculous, like an outrage here. It's literal rocket ship. We are moving so fast all the time and we had to come in and develop a lot of content. Um, So I tend to hire somebody that's more akin to like being a, a full stack instructional designer is what I call it. Uh, I don't think we have a name for our industry, but someone that has a lot of chops. I mean, they can go elicit content. They can they can root out stuff. They're good with people management, right? They can facilitate meetings and and you know, run the room, own the room. Um, but then then they can might also be able to train too. A mix of skills. Like a, a, one other skill I actually look for or an aptitude is business analysis, and that's really akin to what an instructional designer does. What is the outcome? What are the learning objectives? What am I trying to get to? Uh, and I've also seen CS people really fit well into this role, provided they have the chops and they have the focus. So what do you think? I, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I've heard you use that term, full-stack instructional designer, before, um, but I don't know that I've quite conceptualized it the way that you're mm-hmm. you're bringing it up right now. I think that's it's an interesting term that you're choosing to use there, too, because while you're saying that they should be a generalist in many senses, they they should be able to do a little delivery, they should be able to work with people, manage their own projects, and do the instructional design, Right. you're still calling them a full-stack instructional designer versus a, a full-stack trainer. So mm-hmm. you're, you're privileging, in a way, mm-hmm. the idea that, an, that instructional design is still what's at the core of that job role. And I find that interesting. Well, you know, just, just to go a little deeper on why, why my thinking means that way, 
is because commonly we're really driving towards scale first, right? We need to get to the um, a much one-to-many approach. And yeah, sometimes I, I, and again, this is just me and in the environments that I've been in. That's it, but I have been adjacency roles where the trainer comes first because you're really talking, talking, talking. You're doing webinar style stuff. But yeah, that's the way I tend to lean because that helps me optimize for building a university and building the core content quickly. And then I can layer in some other things. So yeah, I appreciate the challenge on that term. Like, but that, that obviates a problem that we have is that I don't necessarily feel like the titles or roles we have always perfectly fit what we need. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you're also talking about a balance of skills here that are not easy to come by. Yeah. So, you know, in, in a way you're kind of alluding to, I think, where we're going to head in this conversation. And in fact, some of the research that we looked at, uh, I think, validates the way that you're talking about this right now. One, one other thing that I would bring into the mix here is there is something to the idea of instructional design versus learning experience design. Mm. And I know people will define those in very different ways, depending on, on whom you ask. But um, when you think about instructional design, what, what that evokes a lot of the time is the idea of everything needing to go into an instructional format. There needs to be a curriculum. There needs to be uh, you know, a defined sequence of events that go according to performance objectives. The basic unit of measurement is going to be a course or a unit of instruction, whereas learning experience design is centered more around the idea that you are creating different types of experiences that ultimately serve learning objectives, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be doing everything in quite the same way where everything is structured into a course. Right. So I think like, you know, there, again, many different definitions of why of instructional design versus learning experience design. This is something that I'm learning a lot about hmm. uh, as well as I read more about it. But I, I think it's an interesting idea, at least that to be, an LXD versus a traditional ID, you need to be much more aware of all of the modalities available to your learners. Uh, and you need to, to take it really more from like the their experience and their point of view, meeting them where they are and helping enable them. You know? Yeah, I really like I, I like the emergence of this term alert learning experience designer. Um, I really haven't processed it myself, but it, maybe that's akin to uh, you know some of the notes that we've taken about it, it's this fluidity or this interpretation of the role itself that I think is important to our discipline or practice, particularly to differentiate it from other fields. Because uh, let me tell you just a quick story, and I'll get to my point. That I know at one point I was having a I was interviewing instructional designers for a role, and it wasn't instructional design role as I listed it, but I had one candidate that was actually kind of oppositional to me. When I talked about the role and what we needed to do and how we went about about our you know development process, they were very bold on saying no. It has to be this process. It has to be mechanical. It has to be very long cycles. You know, completely antithetical to to our drive for agile, quick loops, and and that was really off putting. And I'm like, wow, I, I I can't quite understand why you're saying that. So somebody is a hiring manager, but that's okay. Uh, but, but I mean, there's, well, I mean, that's, it's good in a way, right? If that's how you're used to working and if that's your expectation of an instructional design role, Mm -hmm. there are many instructional design roles out there that are like that. And frankly, I would rather have that conversation early with a candidate where they say, this is how I conceptualize of my job. This is the type of job I'd like to be doing. And therefore, if I come into the startup 
and I am being asked to do instructional design and delivery and measurement and voice of the customer, uh, that's not for me. That's not how I want to spend my time. That's not what I want to be doing. That's great. We've 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 established at that point that we probably don't actually have a great fit between that person's preferences and the the duties of the role. Right. Um, so the point I was trying I was leading up to before was you you talked about like when we were talking a debate on what the term customer education manager itself means. Right. Um, sometimes we get roles like uh, let's let's say customer success manager. That's not necessarily a manager of people. That's a, that's a manager of process and function, right? Um, mm-hmm. So does, I'll ask you this, is a customer education manager an IC role, like a PMM, product marketing manager, or is it truly a manager of a team? You know, I, I'm just real curious about how, how that expresses in your mind. I think there's inconsistency here, right? So, you know, in, in a moment, we're going to talk about... Uh, Dr. Julia Huprich's uh, yeah. dissertation, where she she classifies customer education manager as a manager level role. In the past, I have hired customer education managers at, and and been hired as a customer education manager in more akin to an IC role, like a like a product mm-hmm. uh, marketing manager, or I guess the the best equivalent is a customer success manager. Managers in the title, but that's a that's an IC role. You are managing. The process you are managing the customer's success. So when I hear customer education manager, I definitely think IC role. I think that's like the core unit of measurement. But I know that some use customer education manager or customer training manager as the manager level role, mm-hmm. and then they'll have a different role on the team called like customer education specialist, or or they might actually go into specialist roles like customer education instructional designer, customer education trainer. Ooh. Uh, at Slack, we have customer learning consultant. I like how you're putting so, yeah. the pref- prefix of customer education and instructional designer. Maybe that's like I've thought about that too as I started to go through our job descriptions and roles that we have. Because of course, you know, good form is you're always you know going back through those job descriptions and advancing them and making more you know a, a, a depth of of your org as you grow. I don't know. I, I like the. I think we need to sit with this and come back in another year or two, and see where this is. But I, li- I for now, I think it's okay to be a little fluid. Um, but the call out to the hiring managers is to make sure that that distinction that this is an IC. Okay, for example, last role I had, I actually was the director of of user enablement, um, and so that didn't have customer education manager. But yet, I really was performing as a team of one in that capacity, doing all the things, including strategy, vision, etc. Um, so, it's it, it's interesting. I, I don't know which direction we should end up taking, but I tend to align with. I'd like to have I, if I see a title for customer education manager, it probably formally is like manager of customer education if you're a manager. Customer education manager. Yeah, that's how you should see it too. Yeah, because then it's very clear distinction. If you're hiring for that role as manager customer education, not a customer education manager could be that first hire. Yeah, so I think I think that might ca- might have caused some confusion in our mm-hmm. LinkedIn poll. Titles titles are inherently confusing once you start getting into like manager or lead some of those those types of titles. Um, so it's interesting to see. I think a couple of points of view there. Some people saying that they would hire a customer education manager first, 
but they weren't talking about that as in I would hire a generalist. They were talking about that as I would hire the leader of my program first. Mm -hmm. But then when you when you kind of uh, reduce for that noise, we did see some interesting results in terms of instructional designer being the most common one. Um, there was, I think, there were some answers that genuinely pointed towards this generalist idea, though. So uh, I singled out Pat Durante, uh, one of our yeah. one of our good friends in the customer education world, former president of Sedma. He said, I would hire a trainer who can deliver but also enjoys course development or a course development who is willing to deliver training for a while as we grow. Maybe that's what you meant by a generalist. Mm -hmm. And indeed, that is what we meant by a generalist. And, and that's often how we see it, where you have you, you start with somebody who maybe has a strength in one area but is willing to stretch into the other. And as time goes on, then you start to specialize over time. And that's yeah. when typically I start to have more defined facilitation of delivery roles. So at Slack, for instance, we call those enterprise customer learning consultants or customer learning specialists. Uh, and then on the other side, you have more of the LXD role or the instructional design role. In Slack, for instance, we call those uh, learning experience designers, enterprise customer learning experience designers. Right. And then as time goes on, then I start to add other key roles and functions. Like that's when I'll, I'll add in ops and programs um, but this is interesting, right? Because it used to be back in the day when everything was on on prem, everything was ILT, training services. There were so many logistics, so many systems to manage, yeah, um, and just so much happening manual that it used to be your training ops person was the first person you would hire, and now that is definitely not true anymore. They are crucial, crucial, crucial roles, but they are no longer the first hire most typically. Yeah, and you know, I've also seen something very interesting happen too among my own team. Um, you start seeing that stratification of like interests because you know it's just kind of like kids as you grow up. Kids end up if you have more than one brother or sister in your family, you end up being very different from one another. And I think that's to like become that's like a natural thing. Same thing happens when your teams start to evolve. And I've seen my teams develop over years, and it's really fun to see because, for example, we had um, Evan Liberta on one of our very early episodes. And Evan and I have, have worked together for many years, it's going back to Gainsight, and I really like the fact of how he's changed and pivoted his, his focus over time. So he's done instructional design work, now he does a lot more certification work. He does ops work pretty regularly. And that role, particularly with, with someone like him, helps because then I, I'm like, I've got other people on my team that have a lot different like one person has a very, very deep educational, basically it's an educational consultant, right? They've done this for a long time mm -hmm. and they know what they're doing. And that opens up and unlocks other capabilities. And then I have another person who really is super strong in style and curriculum design overall, like the overarching curriculum. So now I have three people that I can count on every day in the instructional design competency, not even get to the training side, but you start seeing speciation people say I want to go and develop a train the trainer thing so now you've got a hybrid role where you've got a stellar trainer right so I, I call them training consultants to emphasize the fact that they're very consultative in our org not just when we started to trainers now they can they're your trusted advisor they're your partner they, they have a, a, a in it and it's really cool so now we're seeing those roles evolve from like a training consultant to a senior to the next step so this is this is fascinating to see the evolution of it from the inside. Yeah, that generalist to specialist gradient mm -hmm. is is an important one, and I think as the team grows, 
is increasingly common, but I also do, I, I see people start with generalists more than our LinkedIn poll would indicate. So we should dig into that. Um, and, you know, we've been, we've been extrapolating on this for a while, uh, but Dave, who wants to hear what we have to say? I want to hear what a PhD has to say. That's exactly Do we have right. anyone like that? Yeah, we have Dr. Julia. Let's talk about her. <laughs> okay, Dr. Julia Hubrick, uh, who is VP of Learning Science at Intellum and head of the popular Learning Science Weekly publication. And they also have a podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now, what, like, what, what's interesting about Julia is, okay, so I'll go back to my education roots that you know I have master's degree and I, I did a thesis and I was so excited to hear, you know, Julia, if you're listening, this is super cool that you chose to do your dissertation in this field because this, this kind of, well, not kind of, this actually expresses some kind of legitimacy that now we're looking at this scientifically as well and thinking, well, business science, in fact. And, you know, now what, what I know she did in her dissertation is really focus in on, okay, what are, like, what we're talking about today? What are the roles in customer education? What are the competencies needed to be really successful in them? And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, let's talk a little bit about her methodology. And, and Adam, like I, I lightly perused, and you took the time to go deep into the dissertation. So I'll defer to you on this. Um, but I know her methodology focused on a couple of data sources uh, where she's looking at analyzing and collecting job posts. I've been looking at job postings all the time, right? Because I want to know from other companies well what are they thinking about how are they expressing can i just steal their copy (laughs) 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 maybe i don't know i don't know can you well no but what's she she went a step beyond that right she she took the job postings and she filtered them down so she filtered them for relevance um there were some that she ended up throwing out of her initial sample set because they were not uh customer education specific or because they were roles that were related less to kind of a customer education generalist position and more to a previously established mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if she saw a customer education instructional designer and the competencies on there were just instructional designer competencies, then that didn't necessarily have anything to to say that would really inform her research or, or give her um, the the data that she that she needed to see to do this analysis. So she was collecting and analyzing the job the job postings uh, specifically looking at ones that didn't reduce down to pre-existing job functions and then taking the bullets from the the job postings uh-huh. and grouping them by similar competencies. That's a lot of work. Um, and she did that actually. <laughs> it's, it, is a, it is a lot of work. And, and then she did some additional uh, stratification of the, the data. So one way that she did it, and I think this is super interesting, was she divided the individual contributors, mm-hmm. whom she called specialists, I believe, uh, we'll come back to that. I'll, I'll verify that. But there was ICs, uh, there's managers, and there was directors. And then, additionally, so that was kind of the that's like the bottoms up descriptive way. And then she also did, uh, I think it's called a Delphi a Delphi <clears throat> model, right? Uh, where she did expert surveys where actual customer education leaders broke down the competencies that they found most important at each of those levels. So she was kind of able to do a, a tops down and a bottoms up. Uh, to get to what are truly the competencies at each level. Right. So yeah, very interesting methodology, kind of gets at it from a couple of angles. But what I think was most interesting coming out of this data is that 
even though she was reducing for some of these pre-established instructional design roles, it turns out the most common skill in all positions she analyzed was still instructional design. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? So like if you're right, if you're looking at these customer education specialist, customer education manager, director of customer education roles, instructional design was still the most common role across all levels. And and granted, she calls this out. Her um she had a larger sample set for IC roles just because there there were more of them out there right. as she was doing this analysis. But it showed up in the manager and director level roles, too. And overall, it showed up in 21 of the positions that she analyzed in the study across all levels. Yeah, because it's a really vital skill to have. I mean, I have, a, a, I have it in my back pocket, right? Because I've been an instructional designer as well. Yeah, I think most, most customer education leaders at this point at least know something about, about instructional design. And if not, perhaps they find it helpful to learn about instructional design so they can speak the language of the folks that they're, they're managing who actually do the instructional design. Sounds like a plug for the um, great many books that we, we know, like Cami Bean's book and Accidental Instructional Designer. Cami Bean, yeah. yep. Julie Dirksen, Design for How People mm-hmm. Learn. What else do we like? There's so many good ones. I actually read a lovely one recently called How People Learn by Nick Shackleton Jones. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this one on the podcast before, but I hadn't read it. It's a relatively new book. I think it's a couple of years old. And he he takes he takes learning science and just kind of like drops it on his head. <laughs> and I, I really I like it. I like it. Uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk about that one at, at some other point. But Kind of along those lines. So instructional design was the most common one. The second most common across all levels was evaluating instructional impact. So, you know, we, we call that measurement a lot of the time. Right. Um, this is both the evaluation of the learning itself, like, you know, our, our traditional Kirkpatrick measurements, but also included in this was anything that was about tying the impact of learning to broader outcomes like product adoption, customer satisfaction, um, you know, things that happen outside of the learning itself. So... Really, really interesting, given that Mm -hmm. even though she wasn't looking at the actual ID roles that were labeled ID, um, she was just looking at customer education, customer training, product training. And yet the top two things that came back were still what we would consider well within the wheelhouse of an instructional designer. Right, right. That's good. So what what else did, did we uncover in this? Okay, so maybe let's let's go into specifically what she called specialist roles which again is the ICs. Mm -hmm. So instructional design was, was at the top of that list, but it was tied with delivery and facilitation. So in other words, again, when, when she went and looked at these job postings and when she asked people what were the most important skills to have to be a specialist in customer education, it was basically half and half instructional design and delivery and facilitation, which really goes back, I think, to to point at what we were talking about a moment ago about this generalist role where you need to have a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. Yeah, that's that that's crucial. I mean, I like that you're finding that balance because then it's not truly it, it's validating our hypothesis of the generalist. Yeah. And, and even if you start to go further down the list, you start to see some things like technology feedback and design, uh-huh. which that was any bullet point that was around providing feedback, representing the voice of the customer back to the org, uh, collecting and structuring the feedback. And then you go further down the list and you've got more of these generalist competencies like product knowledge, communication, mm. collaboration. 
And and so that was that was mostly from the job postings. When you go, if you go back to the uh, the Delphi 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 Delphi, I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> sound like a word anymore. Uh, wherever the Oracle was from, uh, in the, in that expert study, she went on to ask customer education leaders what they thought was most important. And it seemed like the most important job specific competencies were around customer onboarding, delivery and facilitation, instructional design, product knowledge, project management, technical communication. The feedback and design mm. one we talked about a moment ago and user user experience was another one that they added to that list that I don't think was actually in a lot of the job descriptions. So she took that and she sorted all of those competencies by frequency and importance. So how, I guess, how, how often did they appear and how important, according to the experts, were those skills to being successful in the role? And that gave her a kind of a Venn diagram where there was a list of core skills and she was able, again, to subdivide those across each, each uh, type of role, uh, specialist, manager, and director, but also across what type of competency they were. So she had um, three, three layers. At the bottom was these foundational skills. Right. These are the skills you would expect pretty much anyone in this type of role writ large, like a, a just a, a knowledge worker role to have. So there are things like collaboration, communication, growth mindset. So and that's a layer like, above that. So that's like yeah, your value yeah. level, like at the company, like this is how we interact with people. This is how I know how to get, you know, get what I want by interacting. Yeah. V- values or attributes perhaps. Yeah. Like if you were, if you were to do a hiring scorecard and you were to have a set of attributes that you're looking for across all candidates who worked at the company, or at least, all candidates who work in the customer success org or something, they're yeah. all going to have probably these basic things, right? Yeah. Okay. But then, but then she niches down a little bit and she goes to what she calls industry skills. So these are the ones that would be more specific to tech or to SaaS. Mm-hmm. So these are going to be things like customer onboarding, product knowledge, technical communication, technology feedback and design. So again, using that um, hiring competency analogy, these are the ones that might be common to everyone who's in the customer success org or who's in the product org, something like that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I I, I think what this suggests is that customer education ICs are really being asked to be experts in the product and in the customer lifecycle Mm -hmm. and represent the customer's experience back to the business. And that that validates exactly what you were talking about before, where when you are hiring a customer education instructional designer, you need someone who's going to have that get it factor about the broader context of what they're doing. They need to be they, they need to not just be following the process because the process exists. They really need to be listening to the customer and the needs of the business and, and doing work that lines up with that. Yeah, and I, I want to go deeper on this because it, this all is very supporting. Right of the reality that we have in, in software as a service hypergrowth type companies. That I, I remember I had a conversation with uh, one of my VPs recently, and they were they were talking about this expertise question that we're getting into. You know, uh, I, I I guess this goes back to an experience that I had with an, an instructional designer candidate at one point, where there was this con- there was this discussion about like I think. My team members need to be product experts, right? That's the aspiration. What degree of expertise is a question, right? Because does an instructional, let's just say instructional designer, not because it's easy. Does an instructional designer need to know at a certain depth, at a a, a great depth, how the product works, 
yes or no. And you get different answers depending on who you're talking to. I lean more towards my team members should, should be at at least a, a pretty decent competency level of understanding how the product works to the point where they're able to likely use it as, a, as an end user or even a technical user would. That, I say that you know, pensively because I think it's hard. It is hard to get there because it takes a certain breed of an individual who sometimes, particularly at these very early phase companies that you'll join, there's nothing. There might be mm-hmm. documentation. But the breed, the caliber of people that you're looking for are, hey, you know, it's not a, okay, Adam, you're my instructional designer. Boom, here's a pile oh, of stuff. <laughs> here's a pile of stuff, go. And you're like, then you read through it and you don't talk to anybody and you work in a little corner and then you pop out of yeah, I like, a video. Yeah, I go through my, my Addy model. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got all the source material. No, no, that's not how it works at all. Right, and this is not... You, and you, you, you've actually... Well, we've done an episode on this. We have. You, you led that episode. That's why I'm saying you, you, you. Because uh, I remember this sticks in my head. You talk about customer education and instructional design as being akin to being an investigative journalist. You really yeah. have to develop your sources and your leads and you have to go digging for information where you might not expect it and then be able to come back and synthesize that into something that's instructionally effective. That's where, that's where the full stack is coming from for me. I think actually that it's in you know, customer education, instructional designer, let's go with that. Um, is it's really important. Uh, actually, I gave a talk at one of our offsites once on being a detective um, because a detective is kind of like an investigative journalist. You're not writing it out. <laughs> I'm going to get back on my sidekick again, okay? Um, but, but it's super important where you can go and you uncover rocks. You don't give up. You're going to have opposition from people who have busy schedules. Uh, but you got to break through that. And you do do that. Um, you know, one of my team members would say that's where we, we have relationship building. And we go to lunch with people. And we talk to people. You grab a beer with them in the office. There's this non, you know, the non-specific skill sets that are more how do we elicit content from people when they don't have the time? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so Dave, what, yeah. What what I hear you getting at here is like some of the foundational skills, like collaboration, communication, uh, elicitation, all of those things. That is necessary to be successful in in any type of role uh, that we would be talking about here. Yeah. And you know, it's not an it's not an internal L and D versus customer education thing. Uh, certainly, some of the processes might be different if you're coming from either academia or internal L and D in an environment, say, where you have these super long cycles and a super waterfall Addy style process. Right. But that's not that's not a customer education versus internal L and D thing. There's <laughs> a lot of internal L and D people or even people in academia who are super agile and yep. who work on at a very different pace and have to go do all of the same investigative journalism. So this, you know, just flipping the script for a moment, if you're a candidate and you're applying for a role like this in customer education, instructional design, being able to show the examples of how you've worked in ambiguous environments and how you've uh, worked on super short cycles with changing priorities and, and balanced projects uh, you know, with constantly competing needs, those are actually really good skills to show how uh, what you have been doing might transfer into a role like this. But conversely, if you haven't been working like that, and you're transitioning to customer education instructional design for a startup or a growth stage company, 
uh, or even a SaaS business where you just know that all of the content is going to change so quickly because the product changes so quickly and the market changes so mm-hmm. quickly. Um, you have to be able to find a match for for your working style or you have to be able to, to kind of show how it'll be able to adapt and transfer from the type of work that you've been doing to the type of work that you will be doing. Yeah. You know, I want to make a point in there yeah. too. So like if you are that kind of individual – there's something that that I have I've noticed, um, and, and you know I get on this kick on, on YouTube and social selling and, and promoting our education on more you know like a YouTube type environment or Twitch or LinkedIn Live. Um, there there's something in that where, uh, for example, I I tend to watch some of the things like on Twitch or on YouTube, which are gamers getting deep into a product. And while like so number one, I am a gamer. But the thing that I, I find absolutely amazing is, let me pick one example. There's a, a person who is playing a game on, on Twitch and you know, recording the sessions and putting them on YouTube uh, for a game called Satisfactory. Satisfactory is a, a beta game, and it's, but it's extremely technical. And in fact, I think it, it's like a supply chain management simulator, really, if you boil it all down. So this person is doing these really things, really pushing the boundaries of what this application can do. And this application, this game, is really technical. There's, like, he's pulling up a calculator and showing planning and all the strategy. But the way they have done and articulated these videos is every bit on par with really good, high-quality material that our people would make. Every bit. And it's entertaining. It brings, it's what we want, right? Because it's showing, hey, somebody has a mastery of this really technical thing. They're playing this game to win, Right? They're trying to sh- educate other people on how to do it too. That's what this whole Twitch movement had been about. But I find that amazing. And that's something like if you're trying to practice, take a, take a page from that kind of a playbook where you find something. It could be like we do it um, for our training interviews or instructional designer interviews. We ask somebody to pick up an app and we ask them to go deep and do some research. And that's not the same as it would be internal. But it really, it really does help both the candidate and us understand where we sit. Yeah. So Dave, I think this is a whole different episode <laughs> that is worth diving into. We will we will do a transitioning into customer education episode. Good deal. We haven't done one already. Um, may even have a guest who's made that that transition before. Mm, where would that uh, be? Right? That that, <laughs> that there are plenty there are plenty. There are lots of people we could talk to who have done that. But let's go back. Let's let's go back to the the hypothesis that we're exploring for this episode, which is more around the generalist versus specialist model. So, just going back to Julia's dissertation, in that pyramid where she had some of those foundational skills and then industry skills, the top of that pyramid was occupational skills. So these are the ones that are specific to education. And wouldn't you know it, the top two on that list were instructional delivery slash facilitation and instructional design. So again, I think that points to the idea that we are seeing a lot of generalists out there who can create content, deliver training, manage their own projects, and structure feedback to show the business impact, the customer impact. Uh, You know, they they, they can do a little bit of all of those things, or at least the job descriptions are expecting them to do it. And so it's possible, again, because we don't really know from, from her methodology which specific job posting she was looking at. It could be that Half the ones she looked at were facilitators and half the ones she looked at were instructional designers. Actually, no, that's not true because um, she didn't look at instructional designers specifically. So we have a good sense, and, and she said as much later, that 
these are primarily generalist roles yeah. that were being posted. They were not necessarily half and half. So there actually are these roles out here that where people are expecting people to do a little bit of both. Even though you're not going to necessarily find the perfect generalist, you'll probably find someone who has a strength at delivery or a strength at ID, or at least are more passionate about one versus the other, um, but are willing to do the other thing, especially as, as the team grows and expands. Cool. And, you know, Dave, just kind of like bringing this to a close, three years ago, this is actually something that we said when we when we covered this topic for the first time. We said, when you're looking at those competencies and you're trying to find someone with that perfect blend of content versus technical acumen or product mm-hmm. acumen versus facilitation skills, you need the perspective to choose what's most important. You're not going to find someone who is going to do all three at 100%. That's, the, that's what we call the purple squirrel. Uh, you know, that term. you're not going to find that person. Nobody, nobody, nobody does them equally well. They're going to have a strength in one and they should at least be competent in the others. And I think uh-huh. that's still true today. Yeah. So, so we're definitely going to have to look at our priorities here. It looks like still those most common skills are clustering around the ID side. That's great. You know, content development, evaluation of training impact, um, all clear instructional design skills. This is, this is interesting. Yeah, so it's interesting, too, just to see um, the research in this dissertation mirror some of the things that we were saying more anecdotally a few years ago. You know, what we had said in that episode was, uh, if you're looking for someone who you're bringing in as that accidental customer educator, what are what's the baseline of skills that you're going to need to look for and where will you need to skill them up? And we said, the person should know the business, the subject mm-hmm. matter, and the customers. The person should have a clear idea of how customers get value from the product. The person should have a passion for educating customers. Um, usually, if it's the accidental, you know, CSM becomes educator person, it's the person's going to have a knack for yeah. it already. And there's a reason why they're they're doing it over and over with customers. But training and content are skills. There are ways to do them that require experience and practice. And so you need to help them get a formal basis in what makes for effective facilitation, what makes for effective instructional design, what makes for effective adult learning. And... And, and those things all put together, like that to me almost leads to the same path that Julia explored in her dissertation when you get to some of those same foundational competencies, or not foundational competencies, I, I would say the, the job-specific competencies. So I don't know, really interesting to see the parallels there. It's actually very interesting. And I, and I like the fact that we have some kind of validation on what we, we experience, you know, the experiential side of things now coming from like more data, you know, more more academic rigor side. That's, that's yeah, acceptable. absolutely. Really good. So why don't we shift gears away from uh, the academic side of the house to uh, the consulting side of the house and hear from Brian Childs, who's been on the show before. Yay, uh, he Brian. is now Senior Director of Learning Strategies. Hi, Brian, at uh, Thought Industries. He also has a consulting practice with Tyler Foster called Learning Outcomes. And they recently wrote an article that takes a more prescriptive view of who your first customer education hire should be. Now, we like prescriptive approaches on this show because otherwise, uh, if you're trying to be completely descriptive about what's going on, you often end up getting those it depends answers, which is not helpful if you haven't done this before and you can't analyze all the factors that, quote unquote, it depends on. So I like I like that uh, they took a more prescriptive approach here. So, Dave, what, cool. what did what did Brian have to say? Well, he outlines two different scenarios here. Um, Number one is, of course, hiring your first leader 
And his terminology in this case is, and I really like this, uh, training program manager. So, it, you know, a, a sidebar on that, I just put some notes in there that I like this approach of a training program manager first because it actually helps frame up one of the valued skills for somebody coming into a, a role like this. It's you need to have somebody that actually can plan out and hold people accountable to doing work, right? Because sometimes if mm-hmm. you're kind of organically building a team, it's a little fluid, you're a little sloppy, you you know, you don't have it. But that project management skill, I'll tell you that every role I've ever had has come in such value. Um, going deeper in this, you know, he says, in, in this case, you know, starting from scratch, if you're starting from scratch this position, he recommends bringing someone with experience, um, training or instructional design, definitely SaaS, uh, and people that and people or maybe and program management experience. Um, this doesn't feel controversial here, right? There are good parallels yeah, are, that we find, yeah. right? With Jill, we were talking about Julia's research. We we find good parallels at the manager level competencies, but it's not what we're, quite what we're talking about today. Yeah, we're talking more about you. You have that program manager in place, right. or that people manager in place, that customer education leader. Who are they hiring? Mm-hmm. So, this is this is an interesting question because, first of all, in being prescriptive, he advocates for customer education to own documentation and knowledge resources, mm-hmm. not just the traditional course or academy type resources. That's bold, and so it is. It is bold, and I I agree with it. I I love to own uh, documentation and, and help resources as part of customer education because those are also resources that educate customers. Mm-hmm. But even even with that said, in his article, it still seems like what he's pointing to is the non-negotiable skill is instructional design. Because yeah. he argues that someone in those first hires, whether it's that initial program manager or the first uh, IC on the team, needs to have instructional design experience. If it's the leader, who has instructional design experience, then they can hire someone to focus more on writing and documentation. Yeah. But if the leader doesn't have instructional design experience, maybe they are a CSM who came over, maybe they are a leader of a different business unit who wants to start a customer education program, uh, they need to hire someone who does have the instructional design skills. Yeah, and and I think it's also important to bring out that he indexes on having your full-time employees be the ones with the ID experience. And if you really got to go that contractor out, bring in a contract for the documentation writing. I think, I think that's kind of interesting, you know, that, you know, how you're positioning. And, and I kind of like that because an ID internal can just go really far. But documentation is more, well, if you have material to work with, it's relatively e- easier in, in, in because you don't have all the same kind of skill sets. You're not building the video, the audio, doing that. You're focusing on a doc. Yeah, but it's really interesting now to see three sources, our poll, yeah. Julia's dissertation mm-hmm. and Brian's article really point to instructional design still being the key competency across roles of most levels. So, <laughs> our, I mean, our take on this, I think, is the reason people keep pointing to instructional design as the key competency is anyone can come in and say they're doing customer education, but someone needs to understand what actually works and doesn't work when it comes to learning and educating customers. Uh, otherwise, you're going to become a content factory. So you need someone thinking strategically about how customers learn, not just like churning out content or just getting on and doing a webinar. Yeah, let me, um, because it's only going to get you so far. Let me hold with this space for a moment. And this is where one of the things I've been doing in our communities and on some other webinars I've been on is I've been 
I've issued a PSA of my own around what you're talking about here, what Brian's talking about here too, that for the company, right? Let's think that you're a business and let's think maybe you're that first hire. Maybe you're looking to get that first hire who might be developing that team. What you're saying here, what we're saying in here is if you, okay, you could go out and you could find somebody who's been like a project manager, has an idea, a little bit of an idea of what's going on, but technically you could get a manager to run this team and build this team. But what I think we're saying here, all of us are saying is that this is a nascent, nascent field. This is new. There are people that know what works and they've been doing it. Actually, I thought there's a lot more people out there that are doing customer education and just don't know it or just not saying it. But having that, having somebody with experience is super important. Is super important because they have to have seen what's happened um, in various environments. And I, I know I've been through three big startup environments. It's different in every place, but I've learned some themes throughout and I know it will work. You know, the things like focus on scale, mm-hmm. Focus on velocity, not quality. Focus, you know, like all this stuff is important. And you're you're only going to get that with somebody that has had the experience. Or conversely, now if you actually hire somebody who's got the chops, get them to some educational material, and that's where you're going back to like learning outcomes, communities, our stuff, book, Donna's book. You know, there's materials out there now that can help that person. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. We've heard what our community had to say. Mm-hmm. We've heard what a PhD has to say. We've heard what an expert in the industry has to say. What do two knuckleheads with a podcast have to say? Uh, you want our perspective? Cool. I think I want our perspective. Let's do it. What's yours? Okay. This knucklehead will start first. So I, I like to start with generalists who have a focus area. Um, so, you know, you hire someone who can do both, but again, has a strength in one versus the other. So perhaps there's someone who is really strong in facilitation, but, uh, you know, and is great in front of customers, but still has or can build enough instructional design competency to understand kind of what is right or wrong in terms of being able to, um, you know, recommend the right approach to customers or structure their sessions in a way that is adult learning friendly. Uh, This is actually, uh, you know, a lot of my team when I joined at Slack were, these really great learning consultants who were great in front of customers. They were consultative. Uh, some of them actually had come from consulting or from SaaS customer education and could could really work with customers to figure out what was going to be the best learning plan for them. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge skill. Um, that means that you're great in front of customers and you have a lot of uh, facilitation and delivery experience, but you also have enough instructional design to be confident enough structuring and tailoring your own content. Conversely, I've done it the other way where I've hired people who are great with content. Maybe they're great writers um, or written communicators. Uh, Maybe they have good instructional design backgrounds, but they're willing to do enough of their own uh, facilitation. And then over time, as the team grows and there's more of a need for people to really devote and focus on one thing versus the other thing, then you start to specialize those roles over time. So then typically the division is going to be delivery versus instructional design. And then finally, as the team grows and there's a need for more infrastructure, more systems, more maintenance, then I add ops. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Dave? I'm, I'm completely in sync with that. And it's very rare that I would go and hire a, a specific role early on. It's always going to be a generalist. I mean, with, within reason, like you could have a training generalist, you could have an instructional design, you, you've got, you've got wiggle, 
but I really like to see someone with a diversity of experiences and probably a strength in one area or another. Um, like you, you, there's all kinds of things to consider, but the, the, the thing that I'd like to, to tap on here is, again, it's really important to know what your business DNA is. Um, for example, we're at, and I'm talking from my personal narrative, Gainsight, it was almost all on demand. There was very, very rarely ever a need to go to do live training at all. And that meant my team was architected completely differently. And that's why I said, you know, I tended to bias more towards instructional design because that's where I came from. Now, conversely, at Outreach, that's challenged me. At Outreach, we have a really high demand because of the audience that we have that for more live touch stuff because traditionally salespeople, they, they're people people. <laughs> I mean, how else can you put it? And that, that makes a difference in how we approach. So that's, that's really important. Yeah, so I think I think you're talking here about finding that that balance of people who are flexible enough to adapt mm-hmm. to the business. They're not going to be so hewn to like they, they know their stuff in terms of instructional design or facilitation, but they're not so hewn to one specific way of doing it that they're they're going to say, "Well, that's not my job." When they're asked to do something else, um, and and in general, just hiring based on some some of these general competencies, hiring for growth mindset, people right. who show initiative to keep improving. There are going to be gaps regardless of who you hire. Uh, or whomst you hire, uh, but you want someone resilient who's going to identify and fill those gaps. And and that also means hiring people who are really clear communicators and collaborators. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff is going to serve you well in any role. The competencies are important. Yeah. Um, another one I think we talked about before, but just to, to bring this back up again, is don't hold out for that purple squirrel. You know, it kind of goes with our whole ethos of we need we optimize for speed. Um, you could find the best candidate in the world for that new hire, but hopefully you're going to be able to hire more than one person. So think about what you need at first, optimize for the best you can get, and then move from there because it, it's going to be hard to find that absolutely perfect candidate. I agree. So hypothesis semi-confirmed, I would say. Uh, hiring a generalist is important, but if you're going to index on a certain skill set, it really does seem like the, in- uh, the instructional design is the most prevalent theme yeah in terms of where to look if you have to make some of those hard trade-offs. But I think it's all about finding someone who has the instructional design chops but is like flexible and sensitive enough to the needs of the business at, at the early stage, if that's going to be your first hire. Would you agree, Dave? I would agree. I think I think we've got a good correlation or a, 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 a slight support of our hypothesis here. Um, and then we know the edges. So great. Yeah. I mean, this, Three years later, we'll come back for more data. It, it is great to come back and revisit this right now because I don't know about you, but I'm always thinking about jobs and growth and how our team members evolve. And our team members are too. And two years in at Outreach, I know the team is like, where can I go next? What can I do now? How can I grow? I love this. It's so fun. It means our, our field is really legitimate and expanding and growing and you've got all kinds of great conversations. I'd love to see at some of the upcoming conferences, maybe we dive deeper into this. Um, and explore like uh, I'd love to see a lot more things about common titles and common roles and techniques on how to hire but I think we've got a good start here I agree and speaking of learning more if you want to learn more we have a podcast website at customer.education you can find show notes transcripts other materials articles and please if you found value in this podcast please share it with your friends your peers and your network to help Find the others. On Twitter, I am at Evermescue. And I am at Dave Darrington. Special thanks to our friend Alan Coda, who provided our amazing theme music. 
And we know many of you are subscribed right now, but what we really, really would appreciate, and, and I, ha- I have to say this emphatically, hey, give us a five-star review out there on Apple Podcast or your podcatcher of choice, and uh, give, us a, give us a review. Tell us what's going on. Tell us why you like this show and spread it out to the rest of the world. And you know, while you're at it, if you see some of our links appear on LinkedIn or in any other social, go ahead and click that reshare button and tell us what you think about it and tell your audience as well. So to our audience. And close thanks it out. for joining us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to whom's to, to whomsoever is listening, go out and educate, experiment. And find your people. Thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>